Do you struggle to stay focused on your goals? Do you find yourself giving in to temptation even when you know it is not good for you? (laughs) If so, you're not alone. I feel ya. The good news is that there is a way to overcome these challenges, and it comes down to willpower. In this episode of Plan Go Plan, Dr. Ryan McHugh, my hubby, and I are going to discuss Kelly McGonigal's book, The Willpower Instinct, how self-control works, why it matters, and what you can do to get more of it. We're going to explore willpower as a mind-body response, how stress impacts willpower, and some practical tips and strategies to help you strengthen your willpower and achieve your goals. So whether you're a hardworking woman looking to try easier or an overachieving mama who wants to live a more fulfilling, joyful life, this episode is for you. So get ready to harness the power of willpower and start living lightly. Do you want to feel less scattered and more focused, but the idea of planning or goal setting sounds like adding more pressure to your already pressure-filled life? If that sounds like you, welcome to the Plan Goal Plan podcast. I'm Danielle McGue. I'm a professor, mom, and business owner. I started this podcast to help hardworking women and high-achieving mamas plan and set goals playfully and lightly. Unlike pressure-filled approaches, Plan Goal Plan centers on what delights you to help you envision all the possibilities your future holds. If you're ready to try easier, if you're ready to make memories and do meaningful work, grab a pen. I'm going to guide you through practices that will help you plan for clarity, set goals for direction, and act with purpose and delight. Let's get started. Before we dig in, y'all, I have got to say it is a good thing that this is a podcast and not a video because my guest and I, we are looking a little shabby today. We are going on day three of not having any hot water in our house. But the good news is, is that by the time we are done recording this, the water should be hot. We have a new water heater, a lot of money later. And I think that I'll get to take a nice hot bath after this. So if you feel us rushing, it is because there is a bath on the other side of this. So uh, my guest today is my partner, my husband, Dr. Ryan McHugh, and I'm so excited to have him back on the podcast. Ryan is going to pop on here about once a month or so, and we're going to discuss a book that is related to planning, goal setting, or personal development. Before we jump into today's topic of willpower, Ryan, could you share with us one skill or habit that you've been working on and let us know how is it coming along? That's interesting. I've I'm going to make everybody think that I'm kind of a weirdo with this one. And and maybe this has even come up on one of your other episodes. Um, I've been working on building willpower uh, since even before I read this book. By making myself do things that are hard or unpleasant, ironically, given the, the hot water heater thing, for the last couple of months, I've just been taking very, very cold showers. That is a habit of getting up every day and doing something that is is hard. It also saves me a bunch of time because I don't take a long and leisurely shower in ice water. Um, but I have been actually working on, I'm going to do something unpleasant at the start of each day. And I tell you, after that, everything I do for the rest of the day does feel a little bit easier. This is a habit that you have been trying to convince me 
is maybe worth it. And I just don't know. I hate being cold, you all. I hate it. We live in Iowa and I suffer through the cold enough due to the inclement weather. <laughs> so how are those cold showers going for you, Ryan? I mean, they're more fun when they're not mandatory, I guess. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> they get they get a little bit easier. They're supposed to be. There's a lot of good information saying they're good for you, but I understand why it wouldn't be how you choose to start the day. Yeah, yeah. You're you're gonna have to keep persuading me on this one. So today we're gonna be talking about the book, The Willpower Instinct, how self-control works, why it matters, and what you can do to get more of it. And this is written by Kelly McGonigal. So Ryan, my first question for you today is what is willpower and why does it matter? Yeah, um, McGonagall talks about willpower in a couple of different ways. It kind of provides a general definition of willpower as doing difficult things in pursuit of whatever is most important to us. Uh, and what he does that I really like there is he then goes and breaks that down as he works through the book and he talks about it in terms of I will, I won't, and I want. Uh, and so those are really sort of kinds of goals, I guess, right? I will do these things. So what behaviors do you want to do more of? What kinds of things do you want to spend more of your time doing? I won't. What are the things you want to stop doing or, or at least reduce how often you're doing? And then I want is kind of that bigger question of purpose. How, how are you spending your time? How are your wills and your wants aligning with what you really want? So I think willpower just comes down to resisting short-term pleasures or short-term desires or cravings in order to spend our time and effort pursuing things that are most important to us. Great. So how does willpower work? You know, when do we have it? When don't we have it? How do you get it? Willpower works in a way that's kind of similar to other muscles, actually. It's you have a certain uh, amount, so to speak, but that's not set permanently. You could have more, you could have less. People may start at different places, but if you consistently exert willpower, you take that cold shower, you do that thing that's hard, that, that thing every morning that is on your list that you know will move you towards whatever's important to you, but maybe isn't what you feel like doing, you consistently do that and the amount of willpower goes up. But it all does exist as one pool, so to speak. You don't have different willpower for different tasks typically. Um, so if you exhaust your willpower on one thing, you might have less of it for another thing. And so there's all these studies that are kind of alarming about how people are substantially more likely to cheat on their spouses while they're on a diet. Um, <laughs> there's there's other stuff on how when people go to professional conferences, they're particularly likely to uh, cheat on their significant others um, or binge drink or whatever at the end of the conference. And so, yeah, it's once that willpower is spent, people lack the ability to make use of it in other ways and, and do some things that are often kind of really bizarre and damaging to their lives. Yeah. So Ryan and I were talking about this book in the kitchen earlier this morning, and I was saying that when I'm at conferences, I have to exert willpower to socialize <laughs> that all I want to do is hide out at my room and at like eight o'clock at night and be by myself, not have a toddler interrupt me while I'm taking the bath or going to the bathroom. 
I'm glad you just want to go take a bath and have a little time yourself at the conference. That feels like real good news as your spouse. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So when you were talking about the definition of willpower, you mentioned something about like, you use the word important in there, right? Mm-hmm. Doing something that's important. And it made me think, is there a relationship between willpower and purpose? Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of studies when they ask people to engage in different sorts of willpower tasks, that when they perceive those tasks to be aligned with a, a substantial and important purpose, that they they persist longer, they do better, they have more willpower. Um, and so for many people, if they've been challenged to complete a task, they failed in the past, the most important thing they can do is really think about how that task aligns with their purpose. Sometimes that even means thinking about the effects of that on other people. So it's not just how will you benefit, but how will other people benefit if you succeed in whatever your goal is? Um, How would your success help them? What are the benefits for other people? This is a reason uh, oftentimes when people have children, for example, they're more likely to kick bad habits. So you're in a moment where you're you're maybe more stressed out, you're more tired. A lot of your life, you'd say, oh, maybe I'm more likely to run out of willpower. But now they look at something like smoking. Maybe they wanted to quit for themselves before, but now they're looking at another person that needs them around. And so they have that deeper reserve of willpower um, to, to really push through a hard task because it aligns with their purpose in a new way. That's really interesting. I know that there is a lot of attention to making sure that you can answer your why, that it's become a really popular thing to think about your why. And this gives us some reason behind it, that if you have a why or a purpose, that you're going to be able to exude more willpower. One of the other things that this makes me think about, because you're saying also, if your why goes beyond yourself, it does make me wonder, you know, Gretchen Rubin talks about the four tendencies But in there, she has a group of people called the obligers and obligers are really motivated by external forces like other people. And it makes me wonder if having a why that extends the self is as important for people. Like I think you and I are both questioners um, on Gretchen Rubin's rubric. So like if, if I'm actually really internally or intrinsically motivated I'm wondering if that same thing would apply for me as much as it would apply for people that fall under the scope of an obliger. Does that make sense? It does. I don't have the answer to that. I I imagine there's different levels of obligation to different people. So you might be somebody that isn't particularly motivated by just doing what's going to make people at work happy or something like that. But that's different. It's different from saying I'm intrinsically motivated. I take on the things that really matter to me in my professional life versus saying, I know I need to take better care of myself physically because my children need me. Yeah. So I I imagine that's a part of it. And I would say, even though I'm also not somebody who garners a ton of motivation from like, what are other people going to think? Gretchen Rubin seems to think that that's just innately part of who you are. And if that's true, I guess you'd be smart to leverage that at least. I'm very intrinsically motivated, but one of my core values is community or advocacy, right? So 
doing things for other people is a core value for me. <laughs> and so I am intrinsically motivated, but I'm intrinsically motivated to serve others. Sure. Community also plays into this in a variety of other ways. People tend to take a lot of cues around purpose and willpower from kind of the groups that you perceive yourself to be a part of. Uh, and so if you think that people like you get up and, and exercise every morning or whatever, you're more likely to do that purely because you believe that that's what other people do. And so you know, if, if somebody thinks that people like them sleep in, it's just a little bit harder to get out of bed versus if you're like, oh, all my peers are already up exercising by now. Maybe I need to go do that. Uh, so that's why things like habit as identity versus habit as action works so well. So like James Clear talks about thinking about habits in terms of an identity that you want to have. So it's not that I write, it's that I am a writer. And I think that that's really fascinating that you see those connections in multiple places as well. So I do have a question for you about in the book, they talk about willpower as a mind-body response, not a virtue. What does it mean to say that willpower is a mind-body response, not a virtue? Yeah, when we have situations that challenge our willpower, situations where we really need to dig deep and exert willpower, I mean, there, there's real physical mechanisms happening there. It isn't just like an angel and devil on either shoulder, like battling it out. It's literally two competing systems in our brains. Um, so when we did the episode last time where we talked about dopamine, one of the things we talked about is how there's actually two very different areas and different parts of your brain that utilize dopamine. One of them to make you chase after immediate rewards, right? things like um, food, sex, et cetera, which is really evolutionarily important, right? That was really useful for a long time, but sort of more developed part of our brain has, has come around that allows you to basically pursue long-term benefits and maybe ignore some of those short-term temptations. But those two systems clash like all the time, right? So do you want to eat healthy? Yes. Do you want to get fit? Yes. Do you also want to eat a giant bowl of ice cream? Also, yes. Um, <laughs> and so when we have, you know, when we talk about somebody giving in on a willpower uh, or giving in to some sort of temptation, it's one dopamine system overriding the other, um, not necessarily an intentionally moral decision. Uh, and even outside of the brain, the rest of the body plays a big part too. So willpower takes tons of energy. Um, when you have to exert willpower, they've consistently demonstrated that your blood sugar drops. Uh, and when you have low blood sugar, that is a strong predictor of poor willpower and performance in a variety of things. So uh, one study gave people a really demanding task, then their blood sugar dropped. Then they gave half the people uh, sugary lemonade and half lemonade with artificial sweetener. And the group that got the sugar did way better on the next willpower task because right? they just had blood sugar. Um, another study, and I just think this is really interesting, looking at the same thing, found that it isn't even the amount of blood sugar, but that your brain monitors whether your blood sugar is going up or down. And when your brain perceives that your blood sugar is declining, it actually reduces the amount of energy used on willpower. So as your blood sugar is dropping, the part of your brain that, that gives you willpower just ratchets down. 
it really makes it obvious to me how much of a challenge people that are living in poverty or people that lack resources, how much of a challenge they have in order to exert willpower, right? For me, I have plenty of food in my house. So maintaining a healthy blood sugar level isn't that challenging for me. But if you don't have food available to you, that becomes a lot more difficult. And I mean, it also makes a lot of sense to me. I'm someone who definitely gets hangry. So uh, it doesn't surprise me that willpower is also connected to our blood sugar levels. Absolutely. When After I read this, I started thinking about if I'm going to drink you know, energy drinks or coffee, which ones have sugar and do I want to use that at a time where I'm doing kind of a high willpower task? And I'm literally sitting there parsing out which type of energy drink or coffee would be better for which sort of task. That's a very different situation than somebody that's like running from one job to the next. And really the only thing they can do is like drive through a fast food restaurant, uh, which has a bunch of food that's designed again <laughs> to, to spike dopamine, to give you an immediate blood sugar rush. And then you spend the rest of the day after that with it slowly declining. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of environmental factors that, that affect willpower that, if you're in a position where you're lucky enough to be able to have some choices, it makes it a lot easier to have a deeper reserve of willpower. Absolutely. It, it also makes me think about people that have different health situations where their blood sugar levels are affected. So, you know, if you're diabetic, what does that mean in terms of how you're managing willpower as well? And, you know, all of that becomes really quite fascinating to me. So given what we know about willpower, how do you see this impacting goal setting or planning? I mean, I think those two things are hugely related, right? So if willpower is about, I guess, doing what's difficult in the pursuit of what matters most to us, willpower is kind of the means there. It's a huge tool uh, in terms of accomplishing our goals, in terms of doing those everyday steps that move us towards our goals. And then maybe the opposite is true, which is, or the inverse is true, which is that setting the right goals, setting goals that really align with our sense of purpose is probably a pretty important way to increase the amount of willpower we can bring to any task. I think that that's one of the reasons that I think that planning needs to lay a foundation for your goal setting, that if you are in the habit of planning on a regular basis and you set that foundation of checking in with yourself, it really does help you gain some clarity on what your purpose is. You figure out your purpose by showing up every single week and looking and going, how did my week go? What was important to me? What wasn't? How do I want to spend my time? Was I living and spending my time in the way that aligns with what I say matters. And so, you know, for me, I think that that's so integral to achieving our goals, right? That if you have that foundation and you've done that for a good amount of time, that when you sit down and set goals, not only are you going to set the correct goals, but you are going to have a really clear sense of your why. And you're going to have a lot more willpower if you have a clear why. Absolutely. Uh, and some of those questions you're talking about, am I spending my time doing the things that align with my purpose? Uh, those are those are really important ways of deepening the amount of willpower that we have and growing that. 
Uh, but there's also some things that I found really fascinating in this book that that make that a little more tricky than you might think. Okay. Uh, so there's there's the idea of of moral licensing, which is this sort of famous psychological idea that when people do something good, almost universally they give themselves permission to either do something bad or at least to give themselves a little more slack to not do that good thing quite as much. And there's this has been demonstrated in so many studies. But yeah, when we feel like we've done the right thing, we give ourselves permission to do a little bit less of the right thing. Uh, and something that's really interesting there is we tend to moralize and do this with this with progress. So when people were reminded of their progress towards a dieting goal in a study, they almost immediately let themselves skip a workout. So if you ask people, how are you progressing towards your weight loss goal? They would tell you that they've been making good progress and then give themselves permission to not exercise. But when a, another group, similar group of people, instead of framing it as what was your progress, they were asked, how committed are you to your goal? They didn't observe that at all. Another group was asked to remember a time that they resisted temptation. 70% mm -hmm. of the people who were asked to think of a time they resisted temptation took the next opportunity the researchers gave them to kind of indulge. But when they asked people to re remember why the, uh, they had resisted temptation the last time they'd resisted it, they most of them didn't indulge. So that's really interesting because there's so much focus in goal setting around one, tracking your goals so that you can see your progress and two, making sure that you have clear reward systems. Given what you're just telling us about progress being a moral licensee for not doing the good thing anymore, what do we do? What do we do about that? I do think the clear rewards is probably pretty useful there because now you're saying what that reward is. And so if your progress towards whatever your goal is, you say, if if I meet this benchmark, I get blank. Now you've gotten the reward. You don't also get to skip the next step towards the goal. So I think that's really important. I think that the, one of the reasons that when you are setting rewards, not only making it clear, but there's oftentimes the advice of when you are giving yourself a reward to make sure that the reward is also something that moves you closer to your goal. So if you are setting an exercise goal, buying yourself new tennis shoes or a new shirt or a new pair of yoga pants is a reward. You get to reward yourself, but that reward is also going to encourage you to keep the habit that it's not only being clear and setting the reward, but also making sure that it is a reward that moves you closer to the goal. Absolutely. And I think the author here would probably also say that doing that as a reward for engaging in the activity for a while is really smart because what you don't want to do is go out and buy the shiny, nice new shoes right at the start because now you've kind of given yourself the reward right away and you don't really have to do the work. And so making sure that you tie whatever the reward is to, to steady progress towards that goal. Um, another thing that came up in the study of exercise, but I think this applies really broadly, 
uh, is they took two groups of people. I just found this really fascinating. They asked them both how many, uh, they asked the first group how many times they would exercise in the next week. Uh, and then they asked the other group how many times they would exercise in an ideal week. And both groups gave the same answer. Then two weeks later, they brought these folks back and they asked them, how many times did you actually work out? How many times did you actually exercise? Uh, and of course, the numbers for both groups were much lower than what they had said the first time. They didn't work out as much as they expected, and they certainly didn't work out as much as they said they would in an ideal week. And then they asked those groups, okay, how many times are you going to work out in the next two weeks? And they did not lower their expectations in any way, right? So they were asked, how many times did you work out in an ideal uh, week? They didn't meet that goal. Then they said, okay, what are you going to do next week? And they projected themselves to have an ideal week again. Uh, and so the moral I think there is that we tend to really overestimate our future selves and underestimate uh, the, the distractions or obstacles that we're going to face. And if you're thinking about planning, it's probably smart to not just be wildly over-optimistic when you're setting out for what you're going to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that oftentimes we like to think that we're going to have more time in the future than we do in the present. And so we always see ourselves as having a more spacious future than our current, but then we put all these things there and then our, we get there and it's just as busy as we are right now. Um, I really like Laura Vanderkam in her book, Tranquility on Tuesdays. She says to plan for Tuesdays, right? That <laughs> Tuesdays are really average days, that Mondays, sometimes we're really on the struggle bus, but by Friday, we've kind of like, loosened up. It's an easier day. We maybe don't have as much on our schedule. So to like plan for just your average day. And so I think that's such a twist on you'll see these, you know, plan your ideal week activities. But the trick is, I guess, based off of the study that you're talking about is that people are going to see um, every week as an ideal week. Basically, you need to plan and give yourself a heck of a lot more space. Yeah, how do you how do you plan your week? How do you build your day in a way that sort of supports the most tired and distracted version of yourself rather than expecting some better upgraded version of you to show up tomorrow? So are there any other things regarding willpower that you think would impact goal setting or planning that you want to share? One thing that I've thought was really interesting is that a number of studies have found that when you're trying to control a behavior, you want to do more of a thing or less of a thing, that it's less effective if you just try to control the behavior itself. But actually, you get better results when you try to reduce the variability of the behavior. In other words, try to be consistent across time uh, with a behavior. Um, so if you're you know, say you have an important task and you're trying to decide, should I do this today or tomorrow? You're better off framing that in terms of what would be the consequences if I just kept postponing this task a day? For people who are trying to quit a bad habit, whatever that may be, rather than saying, I'm just going to decide to quit today. I'm just going to control the behavior. I'm going to stop doing it. It makes a lot more sense to try to figure out what a consistently lower version of that habit or behavior would be. So if, if somebody's trying to quit smoking, for example, if you tell them to quit cold turkey, that rarely works. 
But if you tell them, what's the fewest number of cigarettes you can get through a day with? Let's say, okay, it's six. Okay. Then try to not let yourself smoke more than six cigarettes. And once you've got that down, move it down to four. Once you can sustain four, move it down to two. And so instead of just trying to take a big change in the action itself, figure out how you can be consistent in the direction you want to be. Interesting. So more incremental than sort of revolutionary change. Yeah, I think so. So this book did come out about a decade ago. Has anything changed since? I think a couple of big things have probably changed. Um, the first is we understand the dopamine system better. There's just been tons of research on this. Again, we talked about some of that research in an earlier episode, but also other people understand the dopamine system better, which means I think we actually live in kind of a harsher climate in terms of willpower temptations. Again, you can like literally get graduate degrees in how to make uh, phone apps more addictive for people. Uh, there's all sorts of market research on on where do you place things in the grocery store to get people to buy the most marked up uh, inexpensive or most marked up unhealthy foods. And so there's a lot more temptation. So people know how to hack the dopamine systems, both for good and for evil, I suppose. The other thing that stood out to me reading this is the role of presence, actually, in goal setting that I don't remember, I've been reading this kind of stuff for a long time, and I don't remember the idea of presence being a particularly prominent part of, of popular psychology a decade ago. And now I feel like you see presence everywhere. And as it turns out, that aligns pretty neatly with a lot of the things that we know about goal-setting behaviors. Uh, and so you know, the author talks about if you really want to be good at... Um, at exerting willpower or having it when you need it, using it to move yourself in the direction of your most important goals. He gives a list of behaviors, and I think they line up really neatly with how maybe we talk about presence now. So recognizing when we're making a choice rather than just doing something sort of unconsciously or on autopilot, recognizing when you're rationalizing uh, procrastination, uh, noticing how you use a good behavior to give yourself permission to do bad behavior, to not continue doing the good behavior, recognizing how things that you crave in a moment, actually sitting down with those things and, and letting yourself indulge a little bit, and then paying attention to if you're really satisfied by that immediate gratification. Um, stop, again, stop imagining your future self as some vastly superior person with vastly superior circumstances. And in the moment, reminding yourself consistently about what's most important to you, and then using that to guide your actions in this moment, this kind of next right thing way of talking about stuff. I think that's one of the reasons that having a really strong weekly preview and review routine or ritual is so important. If you are sitting down and you're doing your planning, which is this very future oriented activity, you know, what am I going to do at a later time? It brings you back into the present by asking you a series of questions that do get you reflecting. So you're simultaneously sort of bouncing back and forth between the past, the present and the future in this ritual. And I think that that's so important 
Um, also, if you are looking to find really good questions that will get you to develop a sense of presence, I highly recommend on plangoplan.etsy.com the weekly previews and reviews. Each of them come with a list of about 20 questions, and they're great questions to help guide you. And you can choose which questions you need at that time or which ones are resonating with you the most. And I think they're I think they're like $3.75 or something on Etsy. So y'all should check those out if you think that that would help you out a bit. I think that's great. I, I actually think that that sort of behavior aligns with this really neatly to, to every week really sit down and, and you know what's important to you, but take that time to consciously reflect on that, think about how that's going to affect your actions in the next weeks. I think otherwise what happens uh, in terms as this affects willpower and dopamine and all that is that goal setting can just be a trap if you don't engage in those sorts of behaviors. Because then you can just set a goal and imagine some idealized future version of yourself doing that. And it's a way that kind of makes you feel better in the moment. But if you aren't actively reflecting on that and and sort of planning how you're going to make that happen. It's just, you're giving yourself false hope, which makes you feel nice. But then when you didn't set a plan and then the goal doesn't happen, you just feel bad about yourself. You feel like you failed again. And then you either stop setting goals in the future or you just fall into the trap again, where you feel bad about yourself. So you just set some other thoroughly abstract goal that you don't really pursue, but it makes you feel better for a minute. And so having those moments of, really thinking about your why and then thinking about what the pursuit of that is going to look like on a, a week by week and even day by day basis is really important. Some of the things that you're speaking to really connect with my concern that so much goal setting happens in these, it's almost like a binge, right? That you binge goal set, that you do it at the start of the new year Maybe you check in once or twice in a year, you go to a workshop or something like that, and it does get you engaged in some reflection and stuff, but then you set all these goals and you leave and you feel really good, but like what you really need is a practice. You need a practice, and I think that that's why combining planning and goal setting, it gives you sort of the clarity and the direction of goal setting, but then the practice of planning that makes it so that it's not a one and done thing that just leaves you feeling good. Yeah. And I think I'm certainly guilty of that sometimes of the, like, you, you set the goals and you're just like, okay, like this, this semester, this year is going to be awesome. And sometimes, yeah, you're intentional about it and you stick to it and those things really happen. And other times you go, oh, wow, it's March and I haven't been awesome. Yeah. I mean, I really, you know, I love goal setting and I love the ritual of it. And it, it does, it's easy to, you know, I get out all my stickers and I make all of my sheets with my goals on them and I laminate them and I put up all over my house and it's really fun. And it feels like you're doing something, <laughs> but like what you really need to be doing is working towards your goals. And so, yeah, I think that that is a really easy trap that I think we all get stuck into, but I do think that the plan goal plan method or approach is something that I hope works to maybe counter that one and done approach to things. So Ryan, so many of my listeners are parents. Do you have any advice for parents that want to help their kids develop a strong sense of willpower or practice of willpower? 
Sure. Um, I mean, <laughs> parenting advice, obviously, like that makes me a little bit nervous because <laughs> like it's so different at different ages and things. But broadly speaking, I was unfamiliar with this prior to reading this book. Uh, psychologists have this term future self continuity. And it really is just the extent to which you imagine future you as highly connected to present you. Um, and it turns out it's really important, right? People who who view their future self as really connected to their present self do better on a variety of willpower tests. They, uh, as students, get better grades. As teenagers engage in less risky behaviors, uh, they even figure out how to do studies where they basically put people in positions where they can engage in unethical behavior but clearly believe they won't get caught. Uh, and students with high, or yeah, college students with high future self-continuity uh, were actually less likely to cheat or steal, even if they believed they wouldn't get caught. And so I'd say helping kids recognize kind of that their current self and current actions are connected to their future self, simply doing that increases willpower. And actually kids are particularly bad at this uh, and part of that's developmental, but part of it is just, I don't know, do you ever remember anybody teaching you that quite so explicitly? Um, so just teaching them how to think about how their actions today will directly affect them, you know, not in like the distant, distant future, right? Like save today for retirement, my seven-year-old, but in terms of like, you know, if you read every day, think about how much better a reader you're going to be in a month. Or, or whatever it may be, just helping helping kids see that what they do today or what they do this week has a direct impact on where they're going to be in a month, I think is, is probably something that would be helpful. Another thing is goals are kind of contagious. Um, Self-control and willpower seem to be a little bit contagious at pretty much every age. Uh, my favorite study on this is that uh, the military found that when they looked at the physical fitness of people in different units, that the best predictor of every single individual in a unit's physical fitness was not that person's physical fitness when they entered the unit, but it was actually the person in the unit with the lowest physical fitness and the person who was most likely to skip workouts. So if you had one person in your unit that just blew off their workouts, um, pretty soon the rest of the group followed that, or they viewed success as simply being ahead of that person. Uh, and so I'm not like suggesting you don't let your kid play with a kid because you don't think they have a deep reserve of willpower, but clearly like the social component of this is really strong. The truth is your kids probably like the decisions they have to make in a given day look a lot more like the decisions that their peers have to make in a given day than the decisions you have to make in a given day. So they're taking a lot of willpower cues from their peers. And so, you know, thinking about how do you help them be more intentional, uh, both in terms of how they act, but maybe who they even spend their time with is probably part of it. Yeah, that makes me really think about workplaces and hiring practices as well. I think that what that does is it illuminates how important it is to be surrounded by other strong team members and that having one bad seed um, can be really detrimental. So hiring really matters as well. I'd add maybe one more thing actually about the parenting thing that this had me thinking about, which is, you know, in, in this broader conversation about what's your why kind of stuff uh, and really identifying your purpose. Um, 
I was kind of thinking about this just as I was talking, that I think it's probably important for parents to engage in that exercise as parents, right? So really thinking about what's important to you as a parent, because I think, I don't know about you, but I feel like there's pressure to be like really good and to prioritize everything all the time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think being intentional about parenting just clearly has to take a lot of willpower. And so we'd be wise to maybe consider what we want to be intentional about um, and, you know, try to like reframe places where you have parenting challenges uh, around what motivates you. So there's one study in this entire book that talked about parenting. And the author was talking about this woman that was losing her temper with her kids a bunch. Uh, and she put all this pressure on herself to be this really great mom. And so when her kids misbehaved or acted badly, she saw that as a sign she was failing, which stressed her out, which made her more likely to snap at her kids. And you can just kind of imagine that cycle. Uh, and she realized that what was really important to her was to enjoy being a mom um, and to enjoy the time that she had with her kids. And, and that kind of took the, took the moral pressure off. It, it allowed her to say, okay, I don't, I don't love how my kids are acting right now, but that's not like my failing as a parent. Um, and so by reframing the goal is like, how do I be present with my kids? How do I enjoy being a parent? Uh, and how do I try to have a lot of good times with my kids it took her out of that kind of stress, willpower depletion cycle. And I looked at that and I, you know, I think I saw every parent in that a little bit where you just have to pick, you know, pick your battles and pick which things are going to be really important to you as a parent. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I think that, you know, I know that for us as parents, one of the things that we have really named as being important is to make sure that our kids get to delight in being kids and we make decisions around that in terms of how we spend our time, what we invest in and what we don't. And, and we protect that as well. I also think that the story that you shared about the study and the parent and feeling stressed also shows why I think it's so important to take an approach to goal setting and planning that is centered on what delights you because I do think that what so happens so often, just like the mom in that story, we want to set goals or do planning to make our lives easier. And then we let that thing, goal setting, start stressing us out. And it feels like adding pressure to our pressure-built lives instead of actually releasing it. And I do think that we can get into these like spirals or these traps of the very thing that should be relieving us is the very thing that is causing us problems. And so I, I really appreciated that study and it has me thinking. So Ryan, if my listeners wanted to learn more about the topic of willpower, where would you recommend that they start? I actually think this book, The Willpower Instinct, is probably a really nice place to start. There's a lot of books on this topic and several of them I think are really good but what I like about this is each chapter ends with willpower challenges. And so it gives you sort of specific operational, not too academic jargony things to just try over the next week. Uh, and so I think that's a really good one. There's another book called uh, Willpower by Roy Baumeister. Uh, and, and that's another really solid one by one of the kind of leading thinkers about this. But yeah, I think this, the willpower instinct would be my starting point because it does mix some interesting technical information with some very practical, okay, if this is the kind of thing you're, you're struggling with, 
try this for the next week and see how that goes. And I think that's a really nice approach to this topic. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Ryan. Um, I, it was fun. And I'm excited that we have hot water here soon. To recap, today we learned about what willpower is. We learned how it works, ways to develop willpower, as well as how to strategically consider willpower as you are setting your goals and planning. So y'all, I wish for you focus. I wish for you resolve, tenacity. I wish for you the ability to set aside temptation and to move toward what is good for you. Today, we let go of stress. We let go of fatigue and overwhelm, and we will choose ease and health and delight. You have the inner strength to do this. Go get them, friends. If this podcast has inspired you, guided you, or just made you laugh, the number one way that you can thank me is by leaving a written review for the show over on Apple Podcast. I'm seriously tickled every time that I hear from you all, so pop onto Instagram and follow Plan Go Plan and digital message me. I want to say hello. I want to geek out about all things planning and goal setting. Keep sensing the possibilities, y'all.